we have a lot of news to get through. We have like a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about today. So first of all, uh, Moderna is wanting to increase the price of COVID vaccines by uh, 400%, maybe, yeah, like up to 400%. It's, we're going to get into that. Um, the Supreme Court may be uh, ruining workers' abilities to strike. We're going to dive into all that. That's something that's breaking right now that can be traced back to a successful worker strike in Seattle. We're going to be unpacking all that for you. Uh, over at Southwest Airlines, you guys know that during the holiday, Southwest, they sure were a train wreck, weren't they? No pun intended. Uh, but they were terrible. They had about 62% of their flights canceled. This was because they were grossly understaffed. They screwed over their employees. They screwed over all the people waiting for flights. They screwed over everybody. Pete Buttigieg did absolutely nothing. And uh, how did Southwest Airlines respond? We're going to tell you. It's going to blow your freaking mind. Uh, and more IRS uh, employees. It's not particularly agents, but uh, but they're hiring a bunch more people over at the IRS and uh, we're, we're going to go through that. And we're also going to go through uh, a net neutrality update. We got a little bit of an update on net neutrality. Also, uh, the whole Republicans are going to try to lower the defense spending. Mm, yeah, here on Status Quo, we said not so much. Mm, we're we're going to dive into that a little bit more. And uh, an update on the whole NFL thing. Uh, based on something that uh, that we talked about here on the uh, on the show and uh, Damar Hamlin and the incident that happened at the Buffalo Bills game, but let's start with uh, with Big Pharma doing what Big Pharma does and price gouging uh, consumers. Let's go to the Common Dreams article. Now this is from uh, Common Dreams and Jake Johnson, and I think this article breaks it down uh, very very good. And uh, Common Dreams. Shout out to the outlet, but uh, you know what I want, though? I want an outlet, Uncommon Dreams, where it's just people talking about weird dreams they had. That I, I would check out that rag, wouldn't you? I, wa I, want, I want Uncommon Dreams, where you just go, it's like a headline, like, I had a dream my dad turned into ice cream. Like, all right, let's see what's going on here. So anyway, the sheer greed is obscene. Moderna plans a 4,000% markup for the COVID vaccine, 4,000%. This vaccine isn't just Moderna's. It was developed in collaboration with a government agency, said one campaigner. It should be available and affordable for everyone everywhere. Now, I actually dispute that statement slightly. I would say it should be available and free for everyone everywhere. But just a slight discrepancy there. But still, sentiment, I'm on board. Uh, but I think it should be free. So the Massachusetts-based pharmaceutical giant Moderna faced angry backlash on Tuesday following the CEO's announcement that the firm is considering pricing its COVID vaccine somewhere between $100 and $130 per dose. It, it cost about $2.85 to make. So that, that's the markup, folks. It costs about $2.85 to make. Um, the share greed is obscene, said PVA Policy Co-Lead Julia Kosje. Now, this vaccine isn't just Moderna's. It was developed in collaboration with a government agency based on decades of publicly funded research. It's the people's vaccine, and it should be available and affordable, I would say free, for everyone. Now, here's what Stephanie Bansell, Moderna, Moderna's billionaire CEO, or, or Stephane, there's no I there, so Stephane, that's uh, Moderna, Moderna's billionaire CEO. So uh, here's what he's had to say about it. This type of pricing is consistent with the value of the vaccine, which was developed with the crucial help of government scientists. So here's where it gets great. In 2020, Moderna admitted that 100% of the funding for its vaccine development program came from the federal government, which despite its leverage has refused to force the company to share its vaccine recipe with the world. Yeah, yeah keep in mind, Moderna and Big Pharma, they've been villains in this the entire freaking time, as they always are. Now they're they're trying to de defend this big price hike. Like, oh, it's just what the market dictates. And this is just what we do, whether it's an EpiPen or whatever else, we just price gouge. And we don't care if people can't get stuff. We don't care. And even when uh, the vaccines rolled out, there was a huge vaccine apartheid because there were countries that couldn't get these vaccines and companies like Moderna, they wouldn't share the recipe. Now, now here's actually an old interview from uh, Democracy Now!, and this is with Ralph Nader, where he is asked about that very thing, like, why aren't they sharing the recipes? Now, again, the government had the leverage because, you know, they funded these vaccines. They had the leverage 
and they had the authority to do so. Ralph Nader breaks it down. Let's go ahead and play that clip, Colin. President Biden was asked, um, you know, about providing the vaccines to the world. What he specifically could demand, for example, of Moderna, who got the money at the front end, and Pfizer, that was promised the money at the back end, in terms of sharing the recipe, the formula, with factories and manufacturers around the world that are used to producing drugs but just simply don't have those recipes. Well, the federal government has long had the authority to break these patents in times of emergency, which is clearly the case. He's not doing it. The World Health Organization uh, has authority uh, to do it as well. And as Public Citizen reported, we're talking about $35 billion, which is only a third of Apple Corporation's stock buyback last year, $90 billion. Uh, so the, there wouldn't be a vaccine without the National Institutes of Health research over the last 25 years. All the basic research is funded by the taxpayer, and the taxpayer uh, doesn't get much of a return. Uh, the, the taxpayer is basically funding corporate patent monopolies over these drugs, and not just the vaccines here, but uh, a whole range of drugs. The taxpayer is funding all kinds of uh, drug research and development so that the drug companies can export their manufacturing of drugs to China and India. We have a national security problem here. There are no antibiotics manufactured in the U.S. There's no penicillin manufactured in the U.S. It's imported from China and India under very inadequate Food and Drug Administration inspections. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he should make a he, he made a big deal saying he's not a socialist like Bernie Sanders. He is a corporate corporate socialist completely. He has always in his career, Joe Biden, uh, supported uh, subsidies, handouts, giveaways, bailouts uh, without any challenge. Uh, and he's continuing to do that. Corporate socialism for the rich, rugged neoliberalism for any, everyone else. So, so that was what was going on then. Now, uh, let's get back to the article here. Moderna's pricing plans come as the Biden administration is transitioning away from its free coronavirus uh, vaccine program, shifting the costs onto insurers and patients and leaving the uninsured and underinsured with potentially significant bills. In August, the Health and Human Services Department announced that as early as January 2023, the administration anticipates no longer having federal funds to purchase or distribute vaccines and will need to transition these activities to the commercial market. Now, this is... Just nonsense, first of all, right right away. This idea that, that oh, well, well, we can't afford it anymore. Uh, it's nonsense on multiple levels. First of all, if you look into MMT, you'll know uh, they can afford it. That's just how it works. They can afford it. Second of all, if you're like, well, I don't want to look into MMT. Okay, well, look at all these blank checks we spend on the war machine. We could spend that at home. So there you go. No matter which way you want to slice it, it's freaking nonsense. It makes zero sense. Uh, this is just a basic cop out. Uh, so the Washington Post, let's see here. The Washington Post, Rachel Robin noted Tuesday that the federal government has paid far less for the company's vaccine than the potential price for commercial insurance. Moderna's updated booster shot cost the administration $26 per dose last summer. So they want to jack that up. They're trying to jack that up. And again, that they've denied parts of the world these recipes. And this is just Big Pharma doing what Big Pharma does. And at the end of the day, this is just yet lesson number seven billion and five why capitalism and public health uh, cannot really coexist. They can't coexist. You can't have a decent public health system. When you put capitalism first, it doesn't work that way. Health has to come first. And in the United States and in honestly other parts of the world, too, we're, we're just we just really turn it up to 11 here in the United States. Capitalism comes first and public health. Is it best an afterthought? I think calling it an afterthought is too freaking generous. When you look at our uh, corrupt system uh, of, of health insurance, which isn't health insurance at all. We have we have for profit middlemen involved with health insurance. No other industrialized country does anything close to this. We, uh, you know, have the price gouging, evergreening, corrupt techniques of big pharma where they bogart patents on life saving medicine so that they can price gouge it. And they're doing it again here. This is just another example of that happening. 
And they've been doing it since the beginning, by the way. This isn't anything new. Like, like we mentioned, well, they did this at the beginning, too. They wouldn't share their recipes. And by the way, the United States government did nothing to try to pressure them into it. In fact, as you just saw in the Ralph Nader clip, Joe Biden totally sided with uh, with Big Pharma on that one and let them bogart the recipe. So, I mean, and and hey, you can look at Fauci. Fauci has always been a capitalist first. And public health is an afterthought at best. That ha- that's how that guy's always been throughout his entire career. When all of a sudden, oh, you, five days instead of 10 or 11. Was that based on any science? Was that based on any research? No. It was based on them wanting you to go back to work. How do you know that, Ron? Because Fauci said so. He said so himself. He said, well, we switched it to five days because we didn't want people to be out of work too long. That's basically what he said. He said the quiet part out loud there. Um, I mean, it's because to have that guy's job in the United States, you have to just be a capitalist first. In public health, it has to be an afterthought at best. And Fauci was happy to genuflect at that altar. And that's and that's everyone. It's not just him. It's frickin' it's the United States in general. It's capitalism first, public health. Maybe we'll think about it. And now, here you go. They're going to price gouge uh, COVID vaccines now. Add it to the list. This is why, again, capitalism and public health are not compatible. They're completely incompatible. And this is why a for-profit health system uh, should be illegal. It shouldn't be legal. Thousands and thousands of people die because they can't afford their medicine or because they don't have basic uh, health insurance, because they can't go to a doctor. All these deaths are completely preventable. And the rest of the industrialized world has figured this out and they figured it out decades ago, but the United States, nope, nope, we haven't figured it out. And you know what? We did figure it out. There's just a lot of people who own a lot of stock who don't want that to change. So, uh, so that's, what's going on there. There's an update there. We'll see how this, uh, we'll see how this ends. Uh, folks smash the like button, please smash that like button. Don't just, don't just push it. Smash it. You got it. You got to smash it. Um, and also, um, if you are able, please do leave me a super chat. Guys, I'm all alone today. This is, it's just me. It's just me talking to you. So please, if you have a super chat, please do throw it my way. I'll get to all your, uh, all your chats and super chats. So please do. It helps keep the show on the air and it gives me somebody to talk to. These are heavy topics today, folks. I need somebody to talk to. So uh, we're going to go over to our next story of the day, which is the Supreme Court. Now, this is breaking, and this is going on right now. Uh, the Supreme Court, are uh, they could really be crushing the ability of workers to strike. They're hearing this right now. Now, we're going to go to this uh, video from More Perfect Union in a second here. But first, uh, what this all stems from. So this stems from something that happened up in Seattle. If you recall... The cement mixers up in Seattle went on strike. It was a big Teamster strike a while back, and uh, it was a successful strike. They really just shut it all down. They screwed over um, a bunch of billionaire developers. They said, hey, we're, we're done. We're shutting it down. So the billionaire developers didn't want their projects to go out the window, no pun intended. So they sat and met with them. Colin, let's go to uh, to the, the first piece on this, not the more perfect union one, but the first one. Um, to uh, to give folks a refresher on the whole Seattle strike that happened. There's a lot of tower cranes up downtown and uh, just drove through there. And, you know, those jobs are ghost towns right now. Um, they need concrete. They're waiting on concrete. You know, we want a deal. We want to go back to work. We are a band of 330 ready mix drivers, dump truck drivers that take a lot of pride in our work. And how long can Seattle go without the construction continuing? We're willing to stay out here as long as we have to. Because of the ongoing demonstration, Seattle's $23 billion construction industry has paused without concrete. We worked through the pandemic for them, made them a ton of money during the pandemic. So that's a quick refresher on what happened there. And and actually, I, my mistake, that that video was also from More Perfect Union. So so that's what happened. Seattle, the Teamsters went on strike. They shut it down. They worked through the pandemic. We're given nothing. We're just expected to show up. Uh, and they said, OK, we can't take this anymore. So 
here's an update on how the concrete uh, companies, how the companies responded to all this and what they're trying to do and how the Supreme Court got involved. We're going to watch this video from More Perfect Union because they break it down in decent detail. But basically, here's what happened. Uh, Seattle, the, the concrete companies, the, the, the companies and, and the shareholders and so forth, they decided that, hey, we should be entitled to damages when workers strike. We should be able to uh, get damages from them from what they cost our company. And they went to the Washington State Court. Now, the Washington State Court looked at that and they said, this is something for the labor board to look at. This doesn't fall under our jurisdiction. Like, like this is a federal thing. So they just threw it out right away. Now, you thought that might be the end of it. It wasn't, though. They took it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court of the United States has a long history of being very, very anti-worker. So here's a more detailed description of what exactly is going on. Here's another video from More Perfect Union that just dropped, I believe, today or very, very recently, because this is happening, folks, right now. The trial is starting right now. So let's go to that second More Perfect Union video. Imagine you're a newly unionized Starbucks barista discussing whether to strike. You've got lots to think about. But what you probably wouldn't expect to have to consider is whether your union-busting boss, Howard Schultz, is going to sue you for the impact of your strike on Starbucks, for the coffee that gets wasted or milk that goes sour or lost revenue from customers who get tired of waiting in line. But if a Seattle concrete mixing company and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce get their way before the Supreme Court this year, that's the crazy position that American unions are going to be in if they want to strike. And it could be devastating for workers everywhere. The case the Supreme Court is considering is called Glacier Northwest versus International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local Union 174. And here are the facts. After months of contract negotiations, cement mixers at Glacier Northwest decided to go on strike. They drove their trucks back to the company's headquarters and walked off the job. Workers left trucks that had already been loaded with cement running so that the cement wouldn't instantly harden inside the truck's drums. The strike lasted one week before the companies reached agreement on a new contract. The issue in this case revolves around what happened next. The employer sued the Teamsters for tortious destruction of the company's property. Glacier asked a Washington state court to make the Teamsters pay for damage to their trucks as a result of cement hardening after the strike began. The Washington State Supreme Court threw out the case, finding that it wasn't appropriate to apply state law to a labor dispute covered by a federal law, the National Labor Relations Act. The state Supreme Court's decision rested on long-standing U.S. Supreme Court precedent that the National Labor Relations Board decides whether union conduct is protected by federal law or not. This should have been the end of the story. Unfortunately, it wasn't. As we've seen with the supercharged conservative majority currently sitting on the Supreme Court, no precedent is safe. To date, the Supreme Court has recognized the importance of the right to strike and allowed state law to sanction strike activity only when a union's behavior is so egregious that striking workers have lost the protection of the federal law. Think violence on the picket line, or obvious vandalism at the employer's place of business. But in this case, there are no allegations of violence, and the drivers even tried to mitigate harm to the trucks by leaving them running. Bottom line, it shouldn't be the union's job to make it as easy as possible for an employer to weather a strike. The whole point of a strike is to create an economic incentive for an employer to bargain seriously with the union. But even if this was a close case on the facts, which it isn't, the Supreme Court still had no business hearing it. It's the job of the NLRB to decide if strike behavior is egregious or not. So why is the Supreme Court getting involved to open the door for companies to sue unions that strike? Because this court has shown a sustained hostility to workers' collective bargaining rights. Just a few years ago, it reversed decades of precedent to make it harder for public sector unions to collect dues. And two years ago, it made it impossible for union organizers to talk to farm workers in the fields of California. And now conservatives are plotting to make it easier for wealthy corporate bosses to be able to sue union employees just for asserting their constitutional right to strike. 
At a time of historic levels of worker organizing and public support for unions, it is exactly the wrong time for the Supreme Court to make the right to strike harder than ever for workers to exercise. But for the Roberts Court, it seems to always be time to side with corporate employers' efforts to undermine workers' rights. So there you have it. At the end of the day, if we really just want to simplify this, there's a worker uprising that we've not seen in this country for about 80 plus years. As far as union efforts, as far as strikes, as far as uh, uh, labor efforts, we've not seen this in years and years and years in this country. And the powers that be know it so they're getting the Supreme Court involved. Again, I mean, they break down to this video. There's The Supreme Court has no business being involved here. You have a right to strike. And the only way you, you, you lose that right is, again, if you engage in egregious behavior. If you're on strike and you start, uh, you know, destroying the employer's uh, building or something like that. Like if you're, if you're on strike at Starbucks and you start you know, like, like, like breaking windows or something like that, then it's like, okay, this is egregious behavior. This isn't just withholding your labor. In the, in the case of Seattle, nothing like that happened. They even point out, I mean, to add insult to injury, they even did, they took measures to help that situation. Like they left the trucks running. So the cement didn't get ruined. They did that as a sign of good faith. And this is how the companies repay them. Like, Oh, we want to make it easier to sue you for doing something that you not only didn't do, but you did the opposite. You actually did us a solid, no pun intended, because cement becomes solid. You see what I did there? That was, oh man, go me, huh? That was great. Anyway, um, so <laughs> that was so stupid. That was so stupid. Anyway, um, so this is why I do truly believe the Supreme Court just needs to go because this is the function the Supreme Court serves, folks. It is not a, uh, a a productive federal court. It is a political football full of mostly dogmatic lunatics that are just trying to impose their dogma on the rest of the country. They report to nobody. They're appointed for life. Half Over half of the Supreme Court uh, is completely the opposite of public opinion. They were appointed by presidents who didn't even win the popular vote. Presidents who, who most of the country didn't even want in office appointed over half of the Supreme Court. We're talking George W. Bush appointees and Trump appointees. Both presidents who didn't win the popular vote. Um, George W. Bush didn't win at all. I mean, I mean, speaking of the, the court put George W. Bush in the presidency that and, and his and his brother and Fox news. So, and, and this is what they do. This is what they're there for. The Supreme court exists to try to to try to crush a workers movement. This has nothing to do with the law because again, they broke it down on this more perfect union video, how the Supreme court, even when you look at it through the eyes of the law, the Supreme court has no business being involved here. None. No business, even if there was egregious behavior, which there wasn't. But even if it if there was, that's still up to the labor board. The Supreme Court has no business being involved. Yet here they are getting to hear this case anyway, and nothing's being done about it. The Biden administration's not going to do anything about this. They're they're not even going to. I doubt they're even going to be vocal about it. Uh, you're certainly not going to hear about this from the corporate media. You're going to hear about this from places like More Perfect Union and places like Status Quo. That's where you'll even hear about stuff like this. And this ruling could completely crush the biggest workers movement we've seen in 80 plus years. We are on the brink of having another movement like what we had back in the day before the New Deal. You know, keep in mind, the New Deal didn't just come out of nowhere. It's not like FDR woke up one morning and he goes, gee, shucks, you know what I think we need? A New Deal. I'm just a nice guy. It didn't work that way. FDR was not even some lefty. FDR was just a, a reasonable centrist who had foresight to realize, okay, the working class is really fed up. We're either going to give up some of our wealth or we're going to give up all of it. Time for us to decide. That's who FDR was. He was just a centrist with foresight. But because of a large movement that 
took a lot of time to get to the point it was, and we're talking a movement that included labor, included socialists, anarchists, communists, you name it. And we used to have healthy communist parties in the United States and stuff like that. And by healthy, I mean like they were they were more prominent than they are today. Same with socialist parties. We had the, the Eugene Debs and the Emma Goldmans and the Lucy Parsons of the world. And there was a movement of people that was so loud they couldn't be ignored. And we got a new deal. Well, we're seeing that start to come back. We're seeing that start to repeat itself one strike at a time, one protest at a time. So they got their big guns over at the Supreme Court to try to crush this thing. At the end of the day, that's what's happening. There was no egregious behavior by the Seattle strikers. None. The Supreme Court has no business being involved with this. It should be thrown out of any court and laughed out because guess what? You have a constitutional right to strike. It's a constitutional freaking right. But they're trying to take it. Moving on, moving on. Colin, what's next? Show me the the running order again here. Um, I think we're going to, oh yeah, Southwest, baby. Southwest. So you guys remember Southwest during the holidays. We reported it on it a bunch over here at Status Quo. Southwest was a complete nightmare. They were canceling flights left and right because they were understaffed. They mismanaged their resources. They overbooked people on purpose. And why did they do all this? Because they can get away with it. The airlines have been facing no rules or consequences since about 1976. I did a big video on it here at Status Quo. It's been a long, slow boil of just giving the airlines anything they want, completely getting rid of all consumer protections, deregulating everything. And now, you know, you have good old Pete Buttigieg, his transportation secretary, who does absolutely nothing. The only thing he's been steadfast about since he's had the gig that he's grossly unqualified for is privatizing all of our roads. That's it. That's it. Uh, so Southwest really pushed their luck during the holiday season and didn't work out so great. They were canceling flights left and right. Over 62% of their flights uh, didn't work out. There was uh, luggage just, just I mean, it, it looked like a dystopian hellscape. Some of these airports, just luggage, just, just like scattered everywhere. And people were just told, hey, go try to find your bag. Good luck. We don't know what's going on. We don't even know if you're here. Just good luck. That's it. That was Southwest this holiday season. So what did Southwest do amidst all this? You know, I bet, I bet they had a lot of introspection. I bet they had long conversations. I bet they reimbursed tons and tons of people. I bet they wrote a huge apology letter to all of their employees. Because don't forget, they screwed over the employees, too. It wasn't just uh, uh, airline passengers. They screwed over their own employees. This wasn't the fault of the employees working there. This was the fault of, uh, of management and the CEOs. Uh, so I bet, they, I bet they made good on everything, though. I, I bet that's what they did. Is that what they did? Oh, let's find out. Colin, go ahead. Let's pull up this headline. Let's show everybody what Southwest actually did. Spoiler, promotions, not job cuts. Follow Southwest's holiday chaos. And by promotions, we mean for the executives, by the way. Uh, so uh, this is from Yahoo News. Southwest Airlines announced a number of executive promotions on Monday, days after announcing that last month's service meltdown will cost the company up to $825 million. Should cost them a lot more. That's a slap on the wrist for them. It should be costing them a lot more than $825 million. But none of the changes involve the highest ranking officers. The airline said the changes will strengthen our operational execution. Yeah, give the executives who caused this more money. And all those employees you screw over, eh, tough cookies. And how about reimbursing the passage? Nah, not going to do that. Uh, while also saying they were long planned and a continuation of restructuring that began in September under a new CEO, Robert Jordan. Four of the five executives getting promoted joined Southwest in 2001 or before, although one left for five years before returning to the Dallas-based airline. The most notable move was the promotion of uh, Adam DeSere from vice president of network planning. I mean, hey, he, he did a heck of a job planning that network to senior vice president of network planning and network operations control. So he knocked it out of the park with the gig that he had over the holidays. I mean, he did so great there. So they gave him more responsibility and a promotion. That That's good. Southwest said this would add reliability to its operation by creating a tighter feedback loop. And by tighter feedback loop, they mean the uh, hold music that they play for you when you call customer service. It's going to be tighter. 
they're going to have more bangers in the feedback loop that you get when you call customer service. Uh, a Southwest spokesman said no one was demoted or left the company in connection with Monday's moves. Some of the promotions were to fill openings left when other executives moves up. Uh, Decray, or however you say their name, took on duties handled by Andrew Watterson before he was elevated to chief operating officer in October. You know, I, I like how they say no one was demoted or left the company. I find it hard to believe. I, and by no, I think they just mean the executives, obviously, because I find it hard to believe that nobody employed by Southwest throughout that whole fiasco that nobody said, I'm done. I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. I guarantee. But it's not the executives that they care about. It was somebody who was probably answering a phone or somebody who was uh, who was at the um, the kiosk desk at some airline where you had lines and lines of people crying their eyes out because their holiday plans are completely ruined. They're just trying to get home or to their loved ones or wherever it is they need to go. And you can't do anything about it. And you just got to be the lightning rod. And it really sucks because it isn't your fault. And it's not the passenger's fault. It's the freaking greedy airline executive's fault. It's their fault. And they weren't at work those days, were they? They were sitting at home. It's just unbelievable the the way it's just it's just right in our faces, and it's like you know, all the stories that we've done. This could all be traced back to we live in an oligarchy, where where it's under full corporate control. We're the United Corporations of America, and a handful of big companies just control everything, and they actively work against you. And we have a government that helps them do it, and we have a court that helps them do it. That's the United States. It's an insult to call the United States a country. It's, it's an insult to the very concept of a country. The United States is not a country. It is a corporation with state lines. The United States is like if a hidden transaction fee was a, was a country. It, it's a scam. It's just it, it's basically if we made a society based off a giant pyramid scheme. That's the United States. And this is what capitalism is. Because capitalism, at the end of the day, is just private ownership and profit above all else. We're living it, folks. This is it. And by the way, this does not need any adjective. This is not crony capitalism or corporatism. No, this is capitalism. This is what capitalism is. This is what capitalism does. Every single time it is tried, every single time it has ever been tried throughout human history. It is not, well, if you blend it with other, no. Stop apologizing for capitalism. Stop sugarcoating the rotting turd that is capitalism. It's not cronyism. It's not corporatism. It's not, it's capitalism. That's what capitalism is. And if you have anything that puts it into any kind of balance, you don't have capitalism anymore. We have capitalism in the United States. That's what we have. So uh, Southwest, good job. Way to go. You guys are great. You guys are great. That That's fantastic. Fantastic choices here. So um, let's go over to the IRS and uh, some of the stuff that's going on in the IRS. The IRS uh, loves the rich. So there's been something going on in, in Congress right now where, where they're going to be hiring um, I believe the number is 87,000. Let's go ahead and pull up the tweet here, Colin. Uh, I think it's like uh, 87,000 or something like that. They're hiring a bunch of new IRS employees. Now, they're not necessarily just going to be agents, uh, but they're going to be 87,000 new employees. Now, this is from Thomas Massey. I don't agree with Thomas Massey on barely anything. But uh, dare I say, this might be one of the small handful of times where I actually agree with what he's saying here. Uh, this IRS recruiting program is, quote, taking down a landscape business owner who failed to properly report how he paid for his vehicles, not taking down a billionaire who uses the corporate jet for private trips. Uh, all right. And Dems argue that we need 87,000 new IRS employees. Now, Democrats have been more behind the whole hiring of IRS employees. Why? because of Trump, because Democrats are all like, oh, Trump, we want to see his tax returns, which, look, I despise Trump as much as the next person. But if something that's important on your agenda are Trump's tax returns, guess what? 
you're a little blinded by your privilege, okay? There are a million, million more important things going on in the world right now than some oligarch screwing over people. Yeah, Trump's an oligarch. And guess what? He's one of many. So, you know, it's a crime that he gets to do what he does. But his tax return should not be the, the big, oh, if we just see his tax return, the oligarchy's going to go away. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. All right? It really doesn't. So there are more important things going on. And you shouldn't be in favor of all these new IRS hirees. Uh, so let's go to the video, Colin. Let, let's let people watch the video here uh, to kind of see what's going on here. Because this video was uh, was something. It was really quite something. Congress recently appropriated funds, so the IRS is currently looking to hire more special agents or CIs nationwide. We're looking around, starting around sixty, seventy thousand dollars somewhere in there, uh, and then the advancements are you will move up, you know, one level every year for a few, the first few years. So. An agent that's been in the field for a long time can top out at around $175,000 a year, as well as benefits and retirement. These aren't actual police officers, they're students posing as special agents for the IRS, arresting a man who is wanted for tax evasion. Who are you guys? Um, what is this? We're the IRS. You're under arrest. You're going to jail, buddy. Most people don't even know that the IRS has criminal investigators who use their accounting skills and their authority as a special IRS agent to help solve tax crimes. Under this scenario, these students find the owner of a landscaping company has several vehicles that may have been purchased from monies not reported through his business. After an undercover interview using a wireless mic, the special IRS agents find that Dodger, who is selling his business, has two sets of books. Have you ever done any landscaping work before? Ammunition, handcuffs, and first aid is generally what everybody wears, and then it just depends on the individual and what else they want to carry. No tasers. No tasers. That's what. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in the end, they're taught how to use their skills and finally arrest the mock offender. But we want to identify, hey, police, we're here with an arrest warrant. We're going to be taking you to jail today, okay? That's what you, they want to know because they're going to start asking questions like I did. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you putting me in cuffs? What did I do? Did that disturb you? <laughs> did that, I mean, holy shit. Colin, what do you think of that video, man? Let me, let me hear... Uh... Calling on the ones and twos, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Would you was that freaking messed up? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of terrifying. It's just like yeah. And I love the uh, not so subtle landscaping company example of of yeah, like a dude with who the they're targeting. Yeah. So let's pull up uh, uh, let's pull up that 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 graphic that I showed. So so just so you guys know, this is what the IRS does though. They don't go after the billionaires and billionaires, folks. They go after poor people and working class people. And there's tons of statistics that support this. So I actually tend to agree with some of the Republicans on this one that I'd rather not see the IRS get 87,000 more employees. I'd rather not see that happen because uh, that's what the IRS is really doing. They're not going after the true corrupt people who are cheating on their taxes. They're not going after uh, the, the huge, I mean, look, they're not going after Jeff Bezos. They're not, I mean, if you're worried about people not paying their fair share of taxes, how about you look at the richest person in the world who paid nothing? Why don't you start there? And there's all kinds of documented stuff. Jeff Bezos was, was, was claiming like t children tax credits he didn't even qualify for. It's all out there. They're not going after him, though. They're going after poor people. Colin, can we uh, can we bring up that um, that that's uh, chart that was part of this story? Yeah, there we go. So this shows you millionaires. Um, and scroll down. It shows how it's. Uh, I think it's Dow yeah, Colin. It, like it, it shows how it's disproportional. So yeah, there we go. So this is the lowest income wage earners and everyone else. All right. So that that bright orange is the lowest income income people as far as getting audited. That's them. That's everybody else. So. Look at that. Look at the disproportion and scroll up to the headline, Colin. 
So, and this was like, this was a study, by the way. This isn't some like IRS edits few millionaires, but targeted many low income families in fiscal year 2022. Now, this is from uh, who's the, what's the institution this is from? Um, here, let me go ahead and pull that up. Uh, it's Track IRS, but it was in conjunction with, um, I just forget, uh, oh, Syracuse. I believe it's uh, Syracuse University. Yeah, so this is Track IRS in conjunction with Syracuse University. I, I knew it was a university, but I, I couldn't I couldn't remember uh, which one off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, so there you go. That's what they do. They target poor people and working class people. They don't target the billionaires and billionaires. Let's just make it clear uh, right now. So that's what the IRS does. So a um, couple things. First of all, before we wrap up, if you got a super chat, I'll be getting to the chats really soon. So please do leave me a super chat. Please do smash the like button. And if you can become a member over here at status coup, status slash join for $5 a month. You can help support on the ground journalism. Cause that's what your, uh, that's what your monthly contribution goes towards. You're supporting on-the-ground journalism. Without your help, we couldn't go and cover the labor strikes all around the country. We couldn't cover uh, protests and movements. Uh, uh, John Farina was out covering the nurses' strike just yesterday. Uh, Status Lou is on the beat all over the place. Tina's on the beat. Jordan will be back on the beat soon after he finishes his book. So uh, please, statuscoup.com slash join. Now, uh... Quick net neutrality update here. So we talked about this on the show where Gigi Sohn has been uh, re-upped. Her nomination was re-upped. I'll give a quick nuts and bolts on this. Uh, the FCC has been in a 2-2 gridlock since Biden took office. This is historic. This is like inept beyond comprehension. This has never happened. Trump's FCC picks took weeks. Just to give you some context, Biden, it's been taken two years and counting. And he promised a pro-net neutrality FCC appointee. He did keep that promise. He nominated Gigi Sohn, a pro-net neutrality candidate. However, they've been dragging their feet. The Senate has been dragging their feet because you got Joe Manchin, who's saying he won't vote for her. And you got Chuck Schumer, who's a big conflict of interest with big tech. And you have Joe Biden, who, let's be honest, doesn't really care. Uh, but she has been re-upped. Her nomination has been re-upped. And uh, let's go ahead and pull up that Daily Dot piece, Colin, real quick. And, uh, and then we're going to go to the the Fox News uh, smear campaign against her. So this is from Daily Dot. Advocacy groups to Senate. Enough is enough with delays on a vote on Biden's FCC pick. So this basically talks about how, hey, they re-upped her nomination. The votes are there now. You got to confirm her to the FCC. Now, one of the things that's been standing in Gigi Stone's way, I just named a couple, uh, a conflict of interest, big tech uh, Senate with, with Chuck Schumer at the helms, Joe Biden's indifference. Uh, Joe Manchin saying he's not going to vote for her. Uh, a lot of Republicans don't support her. And that's uh, a lot to do with a big right wing smear job that has been going on two years and counting on her. Let's go to the Fox News piece now. Uh, so here's an example of that. Now, this piece is recent. Biden's FCC nominee, Gigi Sohn, shared a tweet calling Trump a raggedy white supremacist president. So this is from Fox News. Go ahead and scroll down. Um, so president Biden's pick for an open seat on the FCC once shared a tweet labeling, uh, former president Donald Trump, a raggedy white supremacist president in June, 2020, Gigi Sohn retweeted a post from actress is Ray characterizing the former president as a white supremacist amid the unrest caused by the death of George Floyd. So it was amid the death of George Floyd. She shared that tweet, retweeted it. And there's been a right wing, uh, smear job campaign of her ever since. And it started again. Why did it start again all of a sudden? Why all of a sudden is Fox News talking about Gigi Soda again? Well, because her nomination got re-upped. Her nomination got re-upped, so they want to start smearing her again. Now, by the way, there's other people, even in right-wing media, who like Gigi Soda. OAN. Um, and there was one other one, too. I forget. But it, it was some other. It was, it was two right-wing networks that actually do support Gigi So because they're like, look, she's good on these issues and uh, we're for a free and open internet. Well, why is that? Well, because they're an internet-based outlet. Fox News is an anti-net neutrality company. All the cable news companies are. Why? Well, because without net neutrality, they would, they would have less competition. And they know that. Because what net neutrality could do, 
is it could slow down other types of content from providers who can't pay. Somewhere like Fox News could pay, so they would load faster than everyone else. Uh, so that's why this new right-wing smear campaign on her has been relaunched. And uh, I want to highlight this part, too. So uh, there was something that they said about Gigi So that I wanted to share that's uh, later in the article where they said that she supports these... Uh, let's see here. Um, I can't find it now. Earlier this week, a powerful independent... Um, Oh, wait, here we go. So. So let's go to uh, a couple things. This is a quote from uh, Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska. This was what I was looking for. Sorry, it took me a second to find it. I think the average American, whether you're Republican or Democrat, is tired of this. Uh, and this is from Dan Sullivan of Alaska. And he said, the number of Biden nominees who come out here and have tweeted about Republicans being white supremacists and racists, it seems like blah, 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 people are just tired of it. Sullivan asked someone whether she believed most Republicans were white supremacists. She said absolutely did not. Uh, and she said that she was not familiar with this tweet. Um, now, here, here's my favorite. So at the bottom paragraph, they say, Sode has been a vocal proponent of net neutrality has attacked Fox News as a threat to democracy and floated potentially stripping right-leaning broadcaster Sinclair of its MCC license, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, the nation's largest business industry group, has warned of Sohn's extreme views and reiterated the call um, to, to take out her uh, nomination. Her extreme views, so this is like the very bottom paragraph, her extreme views such as regulating broadband like a public utility. That, that's the extreme view that they list. That's one of them. She wants to regulate broadband like a public utility. You know what that means? We would all have cheaper, faster internet. That's the extreme view. If the internet was a public utility, we would have municipal broadband, which you all know I'm a big supporter of. And municipal broadband offers people better internet at a better price 100% of the time. So that's her extreme view. Uh, establishing government-owned networks. I don't even know what that means. Uh, like, 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 I don't even know, like, like what they're referring to there as far as her history. But honestly, I think what they mean is that we would have uh, state funded news instead of what we have now and uh, state funded news. Well, it certainly has its problems. Everything does would actually be better than what we have now. There's the BBC is a better model than what we have in the United States. The CBC is a better model than what we have in the United States. Um, anyway. And uh, what's her other undermining intellectual property protections? That again, that, that's just sort of like whatever. They're, they're just fishing for things to uh, to smear her on. I just thought it was so interesting. They're like she has extremist views, like making the internet more accessible for people. <laughs> she wants she wants to treat the internet like a utility in our lives because it is one. She's such an extremist. How else is she an extremist? She she doesn't like Trump that much. <laughs> She once allegedly retweeted something about Donald Trump amidst uh, another police murder. So, yeah, it's quite it's quite something. Sorry, it took me a second to find that one, folks. Um, I want to I want to do a couple other quick things here. So, you know, I think it's important to always admit when you get stuff wrong. I think that's very important. I've always done that whenever I get stuff wrong, I try to correct the record as quickly as I can. Well, I do correct. I mean, I, you know, I do my best. I always correct the record. Um, and I think that's very important. And, but sometimes I think it's also a little important to kind of point out when you, uh, you got something right too. Cause it sort of says, Hey, guess what? Uh, we're doing our best here. And, uh, you know, you can trust us. We're doing good. When we get stuff right, we get stuff right. When we get stuff wrong, we try to correct the record. I try to do that on my show, Get Your News On With Ron. I try to do that when I'm working here over at Status Coup, wherever I'm at. And uh, I know everyone else here at Status Coup does the same. So a little while ago, we covered the, the NFL story with DeMar Hamlin. For those of you who don't remember, DeMar Hamlin was uh, the Buffalo Bills player who uh had that catastrophic injury on the field that could have killed him 
he went into cardiac arrest. He had to be rushed to the hospital. He made it, which is great. Uh, I think he might have actually been released recently, uh, released released from the hospital. And uh, he's doing a lot better. So, so that's cool. That is amazing, obviously. And uh, we covered that here on the show. And the one thing that I said was that the NFL wanted the game to continue. It was the Bills and the Bengals. Those were the two teams playing. It was them who didn't want the game to continue. The NFL themselves wanted the game to continue. Now, some folks disputed that. They said, no, the NFL did not want the game to continue. But the sportscaster, Joe Buck, said uh, the NFL has issued five minutes or something like that. Why would he say that? What either he just made it up or he hallucinated it or he deceptively lied on purpose. Why would he do such a thing? Why would a sports broadcaster do that out of nowhere? doesn't make any sense. So there's been an update on this. Let's go to that ESPN piece, Colin. So this is what ESPN had to say about this recently. How the Bills and Bengals led the way in the hour after Hamlin collapsed. We're going to go through this. Because this kind of proves that uh, the account of events that we gave you over here on Status Quo was correct. An hour after Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field. And about 35 minutes after he was rushed to a Cincinnati hospital, a small knot of people gathered amid a chaotic scene. Bill's coach, Sean McDermott, Bengals coach, Zach Taylor, referee. So they were all gathered. Go ahead and scroll down. Uh, It was 9.55 p.m. The stadium scoreboard read the game is temporarily suspended. League officials still had not decided the game's fate. But for both teams, coaches, and players, there was never a doubt. The Lord himself, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the teams are saying we were not going to play. So Aponte uh, appeared. All right, so go ahead and scroll down. Because what NFL, well, NFL officials insisted that they never intended to restart the Bills-Bengals game. The accounts of coaches, players, union officials, and team executives tell another story. Postponing the game was a ground-up decision. The league did not cancel the game, the team official said. The Bills and the Bengals canceled the game. NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy said Monday that the league would have no further comment. Last week, McCarthy answered some question about why ESPN's Monday Night Football broadcast initially said the teams would resume after five minutes. So they called that out. They said, well, why did why did the broadcaster say they would resume after five minutes? Why'd they say that? So what did he have to say to that? Was there a miscommunication somewhere? Was it was something misconstrued? Here's what he had to say. He said no comment. That's what he said. He said no comment. Why did they say that? No comment. You know what that's code for? The NFL wanted the game to continue. Okay? So if you see people defending the NFL over this, I think now it is completely indisputable. They are in denial or they're just lying to themselves. And I don't know why you do that. If you enjoy the game of football, that's fine. Go ahead and enjoy the game of football. You can enjoy the game and still realize that the people behind the league are absolute monsters because they are. They're billionaire, racist uh, team owners. And Roger Goodell has, has, I think, ruined the game in in so many ways. And it's uh, it's just terrible. But, uh, But so there you have it. The play of events we gave you over here at Status Quo was right. And uh, here's another thing. So, Khaled, let's go to that um, that other video that 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 we played earlier uh, about the uh, the defense spending. The the other the other video. Uh, so, people have been talking about the whole concessions that Republicans that the uh, Freedom Caucus is getting from uh, McCarthy in exchange for their vote for Speaker. Now, most of the concessions, quote unquote, that they're getting is just austerity. Like, it's just straight-up austerity. So Republicans love austerity. Most of the Democrats love austerity. They'd be getting that anyway. Now, some people have been saying, oh, you know what, though? You know what? They're going to get some defense cuts. They're going to get cuts to the defense budget, which, of course, would be awesome. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen at all. They could propose it. Do you really think Republicans are going to go against the Pentagon? I don't think so. I don't think Democrats are either, just to be clear. But there's no guarantee any of this austerity is going to leak into defense. It's not impossible. It is grossly unlikely. And here's a clip from recent 
that I think kind of backs up the stuff that we were saying here. Colin, can we go to that video? Now, Congressman, should military spending cuts be on the table and put on the table by a Republican? Well, look, I, I agree with uh, Jim Jordan uh, that we are going to carve out uh, woke policies out of the military. We are going to look at the out-of-whack ratio of generals. I, I invite him to come on the Armed Services Committee and, and work with us on that. But, Stu, uh, and by the way, I'm all for a balanced budget. We've got to get spending under control, but we are not going to do it on the backs of our troops and our military, uh, when at the same time we're talking about China as the greatest threat. We're going to have a select committee on China. They're tripling their nuclear arsenal. Iran is racing towards a nuke. North Korea is about to launch an ICBM. Russia uh, is on the, on the march. And oh, by the way, we still have a global terrorist state now in Afghanistan thanks to Joe Biden. So this is, I mean, we can work on prioritizing defense spending, but that's really nibbling around the margins. Okay. If we really want to talk about the debt and spending, it's the entitlements program that's 70% of our entire budget. That 1.7 trillion and defense within that is only 30%. So if we want to talk about big reforms, I look forward to hearing that uh, from those folks who are pushing towards the balanced budget. That sound like an anti-war guy to you? That sound anti-war to you? Tell me. That sound like an anti-war guy? <laughs> that talking about how big of a threat Russia is. Talking about how big of a threat China is. And, and then he's talking about like, oh, like defense would just be but cutting around the margins. Really? We spend more on defense than the next 13 countries combined. That would be cutting around the margins? He said he's willing to go after wokeness. And the, what does that even mean? Who knows? It means nothing. That's what it means. And he talks about, quote, entitlement programs. So here on Status Quo, when we said they're not going to go after defense, they're going to go after food stamps and stuff like that. What does it sound like they're trying to do? What did that clip sound like to you? Did that sound like an anti-war guy? He's talking about all our enemies around the world. Which, by the way, you know the difference between foreign policy, between Republicans and Democrats? I'll tell you right now. Republicans. Oh, China is the biggest enemy. Russia's kind of an enemy. Democrats. Russia's the biggest enemy. China's kind of an enemy. That's it. That's it. We're always at war with Eurasia, except, you know, different sides of the duopoly Wall Street-owned coin uh, have different scapegoats. That's it. So that's what's really happening, folks. When you hear people making political fan fiction about, oh, well, the Republicans, they're actually, they're going after the war machine. They're actually the anti-war. What did that sound like to you? Did that sound anywhere in the planet of anti-war? Anywhere in the same galaxy of anti-war, what that guy just said? No. They're not going after the war budget. They're going after what they deem, quote unquote, entitlements, which is Medicare and Medicaid and food stamps and what little social spending this country does. And it is so little to begin with. That's what they're going after. That's what it's always been about. And those, quote unquote, concessions were things that they would get anyway. You think Republicans ever miss an opportunity to reduce social spending even more? They never do. Most of the time, Democrats don't either. Democrats just can't get away with it as easily when the cameras are on. So when you hear when you hear the political fan fiction, just know what it is. Know what it is. Know that it's political fan fiction. If you want to say that the Democrats aren't for the working class, you're right. But if you turn and say that the Republicans are, you're creating political fan fiction. If you're going to say that the Democrats aren't anti-war, you're right. But if you're going to turn around and say Republicans are, once again, you're creating political fan fiction. And folks, you can find me on the road. January 28th, I will be in Tucson, Arizona. That's a stand-up show and the premiere screening of my short film, Loner. Don't wait. Get your tickets now. I'm so excited to, for everyone to see my short film. Uh, it's actually a pilot, so I'm stoked for you all to see it. 
and it'll be released into the world shortly after, but it all starts uh, January 28th in Tucson, Arizona. So romflacone.com for those tickets. February 10th, April 14th, and May 12th, I'll be at the Glendale Room in Los Angeles working on my 2023 hour. I'll have more tour dates soon. romflacone.com for all information and tickets. And uh, thank you guys again for being here. I'll be back on Thursday with Tina Desiree Berg. And uh, in the meantime... You know the drill. This is Ron Placone for Status Quo, signing out.